Hey, Rod. What's going on with you today? What's going on, man? Just got done meditating. Mm. Got this new app I'm using called uh, Insight Timer. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's free. Yeah, it's free. That's why I like it. It's free. There are. <laughs> that's not <laughs> why I like it because there's a lot of like good it. meditations. But there's yeah. Uh, there is a paid version. I don't use that. It's not mm. that expensive, but I don't use it because there's it's a good plug. There's a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of meditations for free, like all kinds of mm-hmm. different types, and mm-hmm. it's pretty dope. What's why? Like what? What's what's good about this one? Uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you don't have a reason, that's a good enough one. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to or welcome back to More in Common. This is our social experiment. See, everyone has a story that can help us learn from one another. And we bring people into this safe space that we have learned to create so we can learn about their stories and get into difficult topics that challenge us in conversation and ultimately how we think. And we have a lot of these conversations. And we're seeing a lot of similar threads through all of them. So what we're doing is breaking down these conversations to create a set of tools and a map that will help you become a conversation boss so that you can be a catalyst for conversation in your day-to-day life. Go ahead and get out to www.moreincommonpod.com, the place for all things more in common. Check us out. And if you're feeling like it, share an episode. Just share it. Do it. All right. Before we get into talking about last episode, we're going to talk about some some review action. Yeah, because you here's the thing. Like, if you like us and you want to review us and help us get our name out there, continue to review us. Like this person who I think I know who it is, but they don't list their name. Still hungry customer. One million. Um, I had the privilege of being interviewed by these two brilliant men. Uh, again, I promise I'm reading that. I am not making it up. It was a great experience, and we really went deep into topics I never thought we would. Definitely a great podcast in general with deep dives into touchy subjects. Again, I think I know who it is, but since it's not listed, I'm not going to say it. Um, but thank you very much, as always. We appreciate the support. It means the world to us. Um, and now, back to our prior episode with yeah. Phil. Rodney, what'd you, what'd you take from it? I was going to ask you what you took from it first, but... Oh, I mean, I yeah, can go, go first. That's cool. <laughs> um, I think for, for me, when it comes you know, with Phil, it's just how he embraced that conversation about prayer and God. Um, it, you know, I, asked, I said this at the beginning of the episode as a conversation tip, but you know, the way he responded made it a space of easy engagement, right? Cause he could easily get frustrated or, you know, uh, defensive, mm-hmm. especially when it's an early question in the, in the discussion. Um, and that just speaks to the safe space. Right. And I think he just, he, he represented that well and just generally his overall perspective on working for a corporation. Right. And how optimistically he mm-hmm. takes that while he's still pursuing his entrepreneurial desires. Right. Like, 
it still is number one investor. He still works and it serves its purpose. And I know sometimes we've had the, 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 the opposite mentality of it being a burden of frustration and annoyance. And it really has helped me frame up how I think about it. And I, I, I'm actually constantly using that advice to remind myself, um, when, as, as we, uh, continue to work through this transition. How about you? He's got a lot of perspective and a lot of balance. Like even the God conversation, having grown up in with with various uh, religious uh, views and perspectives and influences, just gives him a lot of perspective. And, and he's he's thought about it a lot. And then the same thing with his dad and his mom and their views on work and the types of work and him entrepreneur versus corporate. And he's he's just got a lot of balance and. And um, I thought, for like to what you just said, that was very helpful for me even to to go into that further. And uh, yeah, man, so it was a great convo. Uh, who do we have this week? I think we have George Dover. Is that? Yeah, our man George Dover. Right, George uh, came to us um, as he is the father of one of our earlier guests, Bracia Dover. Dover. Uh, you may remember Bracia. She was actually our first conversation about mental health, mental illness. And George, of course, being her dad, has had a significant role in Bracia's journey. So we're not here to talk about Bracia. Um, we talk about George and, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of things. But he grew up in the Mormon church. Um, and he left the church and now claims himself as an atheist. Uh, all of this is relevant to the conversation indeed. Um, he is a skeptic at heart with a very open mind. He values family above all else and has an incredible perspective on what it means to have unconditional acceptance. Um, I teased a few things, but what do we talk about there, Rod? Well, we talked about what it's like being uh, the father of a, of a child managing through something difficult. In this case, mental health. Uh, mental health issues. Uh, we talked about the use of the word "crazy." That's something that comes up quite a quite a, often for us. And the Mormon Church thing that was a, that was actually a big reason we had him on to talk about that. And um, we get into some other things as well. Uh, something that I want to something that stuck out for me. Um, you mentioned in his bio that he's a skeptic at heart. And I think, and I think we actually talk about this a little bit in the conversation, but he's a skeptic in the, the, the literal sense of the word, not the, he's not a pessimist. He's not trying to poke holes in things. He's trying to understand things and he is super open-minded and he, he is open to his children being in the Mormon church, even though he's not, he's open to his family being into it, even though he's not, he is, uh, like when I think of somebody who wants answers and is looking for answers and is trying to find and love people where they are and for who they are, I, I think I'm thinking of George right now because it's just like he he really really embodies those terms in a, and and I hope it comes through. I think it comes through. It came through talking to him. Uh, what about what about a uh, conversation tips? What would you get out of that? Yeah. Um, compassion, empathy. Um, a lot of times when we're engaged in a conversation, we don't necessarily think about the words we use or we think about, we don't think about their impact until we're in it. And this is something we explicitly talk about, uh, as it relates to the word crazy. 
And I just think it's a, it's a good tip when in a conversation is that you, you really don't know what the other person's experience is. And sometimes, yeah, we can't monitor all the words that we say, but uh, it's important to, you know, just, just check in and make sure that you follow the line with the other person and make sure you're, you're on the same page. Um, and, you know, to Rodney's point just there, just his use of skepticism to drive curiosity. Um, I think this is something that, that actually is, is an interesting component of driving to a better conversation is maintaining curiosity is something we talk about a lot. But if you're skeptic in its raw sense of the term, you know, you're just forever interested in trying to understand. So I think it's a, it's an interesting pivot in, in the conversation tips, but it's, it's one that not everybody might be able to employ, but it's, I think, a, a good one nonetheless. So, um, so George Dover, uh, definitely an awesome conversation and enjoy it. Um, I know we did. When I talk about unconditional acceptance, it's it's the the word unconditional is a really important part of that. Um, it works in my family. It works between me and one of my brothers. Um, where I think it becomes very difficult to truly accept someone unconditionally within a relationship is when someone in that relationship or both make ultimate truth claims. Welcome, everybody. Uh, We are here with George Dover. George, good to see you again, my man. How are you? I'm good. Nice to see you, Rodney. Nice to see been you. A little it's, while. It's been a while since we met, and uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday. Keith, close your ears. I know this is going to be painful. <laughs> it was Super yeah, Bowl they, Sunday. We yeah. were looking at the. Uh, we were. What was, what's the resort? I don't even remember the resort in Hawaii, but it was out there where the big surf breaks are. Patriots and the Eagles were getting it on, and you and Susie, your wife, saw me walk by with our be brave enough to start a conversation that matters shirt and you did exactly that and you said what's yeah. that about and have you ever talked about mental uh, mental health issues and hey you should meet our daughter and i really gotta thank you for that i mean just like for saying anything and then for being um being bold enough to introduce this stranger wearing this shirt in hawaii to 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 introduce him to your daughter and to have him on his podcast and it's been um we're very fortunate for that so thank you yeah you bet she's she's a great one to to talk to and have real conversations with so yeah and today uh, we're gonna get into your story because you have some interesting stuff going on so keith it's 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 interesting your your connection you're you're establishing our connection to bracia because at the time we hadn't talked about mental health and now i think it's probably our number one topic of discussion um across the spectrum so it definitely kicked off a a a great topic for for us to to tackle that being said um you are bracia's dad uh, from bracia 
for those who may not remember, episode 19, highly encouraged going back and listening. Absolutely. Um, as she struggled with anorexia, bipolar, um, continues to struggle with that today. And through her story, one of the things that was really, I, I think, emotional for me, having been a new dad at the time, um, or a first-time dad at the time, you know, just how you managed and worked through that um, as a parent to a child, a young child um, struggling with uh, mental health issues. So I'd love to start there and understand it from your perspective and get, you know, a, a different viewpoint on on how that all played, impacted you and kind of an open-ended conversation. I'm sure you have a lot to say on it. So I'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's definitely, uh, uh, we could probably talk all day about um, Bracia and being a dad of somebody who struggled with mental health issues, um, you know, Bracia really was a perfect child. And um, the first mental health challenge that she had was anorexia. And, um, you know, up until that started, well, it started way before we knew about it, first of mm -hmm. all. So just, she was a perfect child. You know, we were um, part of the Mormon church at the time and she was this perfect little Mormon girl um, obedient for the most part. She always had a problem telling the truth. She would say little lies to get her brother in trouble and stuff. So she always struggled with that, but it, those were just minor things. Aside from that, she really was this perfect child. And she was real, her and I were really close. So we always have been and still are. Um, she's best friends with her mom, but she has this kind of unique relationship with me. But, um, you know, she hit, she was about 10 years old and just started to do just started to really act up and um, do things like, you know, run and hide, and we couldn't find her. And and she would she would do these strange things. She would cook cookies. She would she just started acting completely different and 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 in a problematic way. She was becoming disrespectful and mm. really just we had no idea what was going on. And somehow, um, I mean, we've been dealing with that for a couple of months. And my wife picked up a book about, you know, she might, we started noticing that she wasn't eating very much and she was, she was thinning up and she was already thin to begin with. And my wife picked up a book about anorexia and we were laying in bed one night and she was reading it and she's just, she just started going, Oh my God, Oh my God. Uh, oh my God. Because if this book was describing all of these weird things that Bracia was doing, like, like, making cookies and taking them to somebody to eat, but not touching them being the, you know, during dinner time, trying to act like she was this great little mama's helper, putting plates out and doing everything. And, but yet finding ways to avoid eating. Mm -hmm. um, and we recognized then that she had an eating disorder. And that was the first time we knew that, there was a problem and it wasn't just that she was acting up. So that began a process of us trying to understand it. And, uh, we, you know, going to different, um, you know, every different counselor we could find. Um, and she, it just became worse and worse. She, she started completely acting out, you know, yelling and screaming in counselor's appointments. Um, at one point she was so angry after an appointment, we were driving down the freeway 
Um, and she literally opened up the door and tried to jump out of the car. Wow. I, I was driving and I reached back and I grabbed onto her and I was holding her in the car while I was driving down the freeway. Um, wow. Just, you know, and she was, she was horribly mean to her brother um, through the process. And, and it was difficult to be, I mean, as parents, it was really difficult because with her sickness, so much of our attention had to turn to try and help her. So her brothers need our attention also, and yet, and she's treating them really badly, and we're trying to find a, a balance there, and you know, and then, you know, I'm still trying to work, and Susie's trying to to grasp it all. Um, I think uh, when you talk about mental health issues, whether it's anorexia or bipolar or, or whatever, um, you know, it's they're horrible illnesses and diseases, but the effect they have on the loved loved ones of those people is 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 extreme, and it really absolutely throws you for a loop. Um, you know, you question whether you're ever gonna this perfect daughter that I thought I had. I um, that many times throughout her struggles with anorexia, and then again, their struggles with bipolar, um, you wonder if you're ever going to have her back and it feels like it will never end. And, and it's, it, it's, it's a long process to, to get on top of it. You know, I think, um, go, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you, had you had exposure to mental health challenges prior? No, I hadn't had, I've had no exposure to mental health challenges prior. Um, didn't at the time initially, you know, and that's why mental health, you know, when we, Rodney, when we met you in Hawaii and saw that, saw what was on your t-shirt that, you know, to us, there's certain conversations that, that really matter. And mental health is, is at the top of that list. And it has been since we've had children that, that deal with it. Mm. Um, but until that happened, I was just like everybody else. My wife and I were just like everybody else that, you know, we didn't talk about it, you know, and we would, and we would just throw out, oh, he's crazy, or this, and we would use that just as a normal term, um, not trying to be um, mean to anyone or, or not just, just as everybody, people, people generally say that every day. Oh, that's crazy. He's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. When, when Gracia actually went psychotic um, multiple times being bipolar, all of a sudden when somebody would say, he's crazy or she's crazy. Just, just referring to somebody that's not suffering mental illness, but is doing something weird. Mm-hmm. It, it hits you. I mean, I think it's in a way that racist slurs might hit people that deal with racism. Mm-hmm. You know, when my daughter actually is crazy and we're trying to bring her out of psychosis and then somebody says something like that, it, you, it, you hear it completely different in a yeah. different way. Yeah. I have a Do question you, real quick. Um, you mentioned yeah. the, um, brothers, sons, uh, have you talked to them about that? Like, I don't know if in it or even after it, the the fact that you were trying to balance it. And this is probably one of those, one of the lovely pieces of being a parent where you can't, you don't get to open up on everything that you're doing. You just have to just do it. But like, did you have an opportunity or have a way to communicate with them? Like how you were 
trying to manage that or or trying to show them love and support at the same time or like how did that how did that manifest for for you and them we um we we certainly do now um you know Bracia's, uh so marcus is 18 right now and so he was the one that was um old enough to get what was going on when Bracia was suffering through these things and he was the one that Bracia took oliver you know, all, all of her issues out on. Um, and he's the one that kind of lost my attention when when Bracia had to have it because she was sick. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, uh, Bracia and he just, he wouldn't talk to her. Um, he, was, he was quiet. He was kind of reserved at the time. Um, she was bigger than him at the time. Now he's, you know, six foot and really big and strong and stuff. But <laughs> Um, at the, it, I, I don't, at the time he would have been six or seven, maybe eight. And as we were going through a lot of this and, and we couldn't really sit there and reason with him and explain why right. Bracia, why he, we're having to pay so much attention to Bracia and why, you know, why Bracia's in the hospital, why mom's in, in Denver for a month with Bracia because she's sick. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he hated her. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he didn't understand it, but over time as Bracia, um, got her health back, um, he, he start, he understood and, and he and Bracia have an incredible relationship now, but it's taken time. Yeah. It hurt. He, he does not express his feelings well either. And it hurt him a lot during that time. Um, you know, since as, as we've gone on and, um, progress is made and Bracia has done so well, he, he gets it. And you know, he's an advocate for mental health too. And he, he gets that mental health is an illness and he doesn't hold any resentment at all at this point. But, um, how do they, how, so that I'm glad to hear that progress, right. Um, for, for everybody's sake. Um, I'm curious you didn't have exposure before. I think you talked about it. You know, it wasn't a thing in your life, so it wasn't something that had your attention. How was it that you and Susie took the approach to evaluate Bracia's behavior in a in a way that didn't just my child's awful and yell at her all the time and scream at me like y- you went the route of, Oh, this is, uh, this is it. We need to evaluate and go and, and kind of diagnose that there's something there and then embrace it as something that you needed to take part in helping work through. Like what, what is that for you? How did that come about? I'm, I'm fascinated because I don't think everybody would be so open to it, especially having the, prior exposure that you had or didn't have? Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good question. And I don't, I don't know if I have the answer to it other than, um, as a, you know, again, as as the father of someone who suffers from multiple people who have mental illness challenges, um, I firmly believe that mental illnesses are sicknesses and um no different than cancer is a sickness and um no it's not a choice for people who become mentally ill and 
I don't know why that's the path that Susie and I took as we started to understand and deal with Gracia's situation. Um, we, I could have easily, and, and frankly, I think, I don't want to stereotype people, but so often fathers and husbands um, uh, and, and, and loved ones just in general of people who have mental illness think that it's a choice of by by the person that's suffering and just get you know the term just get over it you know just eat you know i you know with anorexia people would uh you know people would say well why doesn't she just eat you know and it her anorexia she 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 it wasn't that she didn't want to eat she wasn't choosing to be anorexic right. but it progressed it progressed until she was so sick that she could not eat i on, you know, Christmas mm. Eve, I took her to the hospital because we thought she was going to die. She, she hadn't eaten anything for almost a week. We're in the emergency room, and they bring in food. And she, she's going to spend Christmas and, and multiple days in the emergency room. Or she can just eat and come home, and she can't eat. It's not that she chose not to eat. She just couldn't do it. And so, I, you know, Keith, that's a good I, I think if I could, I think if I could understand why Susie and I stepped back, and really tried to understand mental illness instead of judge it initially, I, I think that that might help a lot of people um, understand how to deal with mental illness. I honestly, I don't know why we did that, but I'm so grateful that we did, and um, you know, accepting that Bracia was sick instead of just making bad decisions mm. and being difficult is what allowed us to help her. If, if you don't believe somebody's sick, you know, how can you, how can you help them? It, I if think, I may, sorry, just something yeah. when you were telling the initial story, I, and I really love that question, Keith. It seems just from the little bit I know about you from meeting you and just this conversation, I would say it seems like you're very in tune with your family and just even the way you detailed Bracia prior and after, you you felt a change. And then Susie reading that book, you know, call it serendipity, call it divine invention, divine invention, call it whatever you will. Like that, you saw there was something, didn't know what it was, and then she read something that's like, man, this is hitting like a lot of the things that we we're seeing. And you being, um, you cared. Like you were like, hey, let's explore this. I don't know what I, you know, I don't know. Let, let's jump in. It, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more to it, but that's just some stuff that I. I t- if you don't really believe that the person is sick, um, then that would be really difficult to, to act appropriately. And that's why the conversation is, the conversation around mental illness is really important because um, it's, it, it, there, it's starting to be a conversation that people are more willing to have. Mm-hmm. And if they're more willing to have the conversation, then they're more open to learning about it and understanding it. And the more they hear and the more they understand, it, until they get to the point where they actually believe that depression, anorexia, bipolar, schizophrenia, what, whatever the mental challenge could be, addictions and all these types of things, until they are willing to look at that person as if they had, in the same way they would look at somebody if they had cancer, 
Because if they don't, if, they, if they're judging that person and saying, oh, well, why are they depressed? Their life's not that bad. Just get out of bed. You know, mm. just, that's, you know, pick yourself up and go do something. You know, try harder. Just eat some food. Just eat something. You know, what, it, it just, it, it, as long as that is their perspective, then they're not going to be able to help those people. Um, and they're going to be part of the problem. So the conversation has to start first. It's starting. It's happening. Organizations are pushing it through, and you know, famous people, athletes are starting to come out about their challenges with mental health and mental illnesses. And the more that happens, then the more people will start to understand, and then hopefully, more resources are available, and and uh, and we're able to um, treat people who are struggling with mental health issues in as as people that are sick and need help, and and get them the help that they need. You said something at the beginning of that. Sorry, Keith, real quick. You said something there that I think is even more basic than that piece. Like, because like seeing somebody that's bipolar as somebody, like, like this is not a choice. It's a sickness. It's an illness. But you mentioned, like, being willing to believe that they're sick. Like, you had a, fu- a fundamental belief that your daughter was a good, good person, a good child. And then these things started happening. It's like, okay, something else is happening. Like, what else is going on? So there's kind of the assumption of good intent, the belief in people, like the belief that they're, like, are they doing this to me or is something happening to them? Like, that that that, that pivot of um, just, just that little bit of, like, hmm, like, what's going on? Is there, do I need to give a little grace here to see if there's something more to the picture? And I think... I kind of think is something that's lacking in society in general, but I think it opens that door in order to be able to say, maybe there's a mental uh, health challenge going on here in, in, in a case like that. But uh, thank you for sharing. Thank you. I have, I've had a question that I've wanted to ask since we first talked to Bracia. Um, when you guys went to visit the ranch, it was your, your brother, her uncle, my my uncle. Yeah. Your uncle, and she met Blue, and she ate for the first time. You're going to make me cry. Like, I, get I said I wasn't going to cry today, Keith. <laughs> I'm very, like, I, from a from a pure under, like, I w- I've always wanted to know what that moment was like for you. Yeah, I'm you know, happy to share that because I remember it <laughs> vividly. You know, we, um, we, I, I took Bracia up to, it's in Cody, Wyoming. I took her there against our doctor's advice. Oh, um, really? They wanted her, yeah, they wanted her in the hospital. But Bracia had been pleading with me to get her around horses for months. I mean, it's, for whatever reason, through this whole anorexia battle, Bracia just wanted to be around horses. We, we took her to riding places where she could learn that she was digressing, um, hoping it would help and got her opportunities that we could. But she said, Dad, if I can just have a horse, um, everything will be all right. And I don't, mm. I mean, animals are therapeutic, but she had this love for horses at the time. And, um, but she was, she was going downhill again fast. This is after she'd spent a week in the psychiatric unit at the Phoenix Children's Hospital, after Susie and her had spent a month in, in Denver, uh, the Children's Hospital there, where she'd been inpatient and outpatient and had, um, had, made some progress, but then she was, you know, she came home and then she started deteriorating again. And so the doctor that we were working with wanted her back in the hospital. My question to them was, if I take Bracia up there for one week and she doesn't eat, is she going to die? And they said, no, she's not. Mm -hmm. So 
I said, okay, I'm taking her up. So, you know, I talked to my aunt and uncle and stuff and we flew up there. We flew to Billings, rented a car and drove over there. And, the, and you know, right as we got there, um, my uncle took her out um, to the horses and she was walking around the canal at the corrals and petting the horses and stuff. And, you know, just happy as can be, you know, her and her like 80, probably 80 pound body. Um, and it, they're kind of, my aunt and uncle are the greatest people in the world, but they're kind of small town. And, and, you know, I, every time I, for, even when I was there as a kid, my aunt would prepare dinner and she'd ring the bell outside the back door and, and we're down at the pastures and stuff with playing with the animals and stuff. And, and that meant come up for dinner. So um, I was down there with Bracia and um, she rang the bell and I'm just like, oh, shit, here, here we go. You know, we're going to get up there and she's not going to eat anything. And my aunt and uncle are going to see and they're not going to understand why. And I mean, I mean, I told them I told them what would happen, but, it, you know, yeah, you're, you're, expecting town, that, just, yeah, you're expecting that. You're expecting that response that people I don't think have. They really, yeah, I don't think they really internalized it. And she'd made hamburgers of all things, and I'm just like, oh man, here we go. Um, and uh, and so we sat down at the table, and um, my aunt dished up, you know, put a burger in a bun for Bracia, and she ate the whole thing. And I, I was dying. I could not believe it. And I, I was just in shock. I got up, went out back, and called Susie. And I'm like, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe it. Bracia just ate a hamburger. <laughs> and um, it was amazing. And um, she, you know, it wasn't like she stuffed herself, but she ate a hamburger. And she started eating. And, you know, also, you know, in my family, you know, we kind of give our kids probably too many choices. Oh, you don't want to eat this. Oh, we'll order th that. Or, you know, you or this or that. Up there, you eat. If you don't eat what she puts on the table, you don't eat. Yeah. Yeah. You're not just gonna get in the car and drive into town and, you know, go to a restaurant or order DoorDash or something like that. It doesn't <laughs> right, happen. Right. So, um, she ate dinner, um, and she continued to do it. Um, and breakfast, and I just, I was amazed. I think I stayed there with her for two days, and, um. And then I left, and she spent the next couple of months up there, and um, that was that was the beginning of her healing that that took, you know. So I, but she she spent almost two months there, I think. And Susie and I went back up to get her, and the first night we were there, um, we 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 went to the rodeo. The Cody Night Rodeo is a big thing in summer up there, and Bracia was on blue and perfectly rode blue in the rodeo, in an event, she, mm -hmm. you know, she did the barrel racing where you go around all three barrels and, and rode out. And, you know, I just, I couldn't believe it. So, um, a, so I wow. felt that was an incredible experience and um, definitely have a lot of love and gratitude for my aunt and uncle that, that facilitated that for us. Thank you for sharing that. Damn it, Keith. I said to myself, <laughs> I, I was not going to cry. I'm all, I got uh, something flew in my yeah. eye. That's what happened. Yeah. I'm not. When, I'm, um, when someone's, the, my last question on this topic, because there's something you said before that I really want to want to dig into, but as they're crazy, like you, like you were talking about it because they're not around it and you have that, right? Like, how do you approach that situation 
in an effort to help manage that conversation around mental health or do you, or does it depend on who it is? Like, do you have a, a, a like an approach to if you're around someone and they say, yeah. man, that guy's just crazy. It's a really good question. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where like, because I'm, because I've literally lived through braised bracia, um, having manic episodes and psychotic episodes. And I've seen her truly um, in a, in a crazy state where nothing she does or says makes any sense. Um, and, and she can't come out of it um, until you really sedate her and give her certain medications for a few days. And um, so now when someone, when I hear somebody say that just in a, in a unthoughtful way, um, it, it kind of hits me. I mean, I, I don't know. I, um, you know, if I was part of some, uh, you know, some, uh, group that, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's race or what some, some race that has, has discrimination against them in certain ways. And then, um, you know, I, there's, and there's words that can be used to, to speak negatively about, um, your, ethnicity or your group or your status. Um, and, and I'd imagine those words would, would kind of cut if, if that happened. And that, that's the way I feel when somebody says, you know, just says, that's crazy. I, I feel like I don't say that anymore. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't know, it's a good question. Generally when somebody says that, I just hear it and it kind of pinches my ears. And then I have to realize that they just don't realize that, uh, why I wouldn't, why I don't like that word to just be used, um, carelessly. Have you ever, um, have you ever mentioned that to anybody who said it or like it really, it, it was a moment where it was just really cut and you're like, Hey, um, like, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of that word or is that, is it more something that you internalize and yeah, you know, it's a good, I, I mean, that's a really good question. And I think, uh, if I'm, I think if I'm maybe a little bit more aware of the opportunities to engage in a conversation when somebody says that I, I could turn it into something like that. I think in most cases where I'm talking to somebody and I hear that we're not talking about mental health and we're maybe not even talking about something too serious. And, mm -hmm. and they just use that word because it's part of their vocabulary. Um, and um, so I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have examples of, um, you know, calling somebody out for using that yeah, word, yeah, just yeah. explaining to them how it makes me feel. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't no know worries. about that. I, 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 was I, will, curious. Yeah, I will tell you, we 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 really do look, have a lot of opportunities where um, we just very blatantly introduce ourselves as advocates of mental health. I mean, like we did with you, Rodney, in, mm -hmm. in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. So I had to I had to take a, a bit of a step back. Um, to, to go to a point that you said she was the perfect Mormon child. Yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, we, let, like we've <laughs> talked a lot about you as a parent to Bracia, but let's talk about you and your journey. I mean, you, you, I don't know if the word is defected, but uh, you separated from the Mormon church and uh, uh, Mormonism has been a big part of your life. Like, 
let, let's talk about, first of all, what does the perfect Mormon child look like? And yeah. then second, well, why did you leave the Mormon church? Well, like even your background within that as well. Like how long were you in the Mormon church? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I come from a, a multi-generations of, of, of Mormons. Um, my parents met at Brigham Young University and um, after my dad got back from a Mormon mission and got married in a Mormon temple, um, they started having kids pretty quickly. Uh, I, have, we're, I have a family of six kids. And my wife comes from a family of six kids. Her parents met at BYU, um, got married and started having a lot of kids. My father-in-law's worked for um, the church farm system his whole life. He just recently retired, but um, I grew up in, I grew up in Bountiful, Utah, which is just north of Salt Lake City, and as as uh, as, as wild as it may sound, uh, you know, I did, even up until I was in high school, I, I I could rarely even contemplate that any cultures outside of Mormonism existed. Hmm. I just I I was not given, you know, my parents are were were great parents within the culture of what they believed and, you know, they never, my parents are full of love for me still. And, and they're just, they full of love for everybody. Um, but the, for, for Orthodox Mormons, the religion governs every moment of their waking day and every thought and their schedules are based around it. Um, their, their perspective of, life of everything it's it's so completely encompassing within your life um that i sorry to interject but is no. that what you mean by the mormon culture I, I yeah, the, wanted, Mor yeah the mormon culture i mean yeah. it's it's if the, even i mean even where i live right now in gilbert arizona the mormon culture is is huge um uh, almost similar similarly to where it was i when i grew up in bountiful utah but point is that my parents didn't teach me anything but Mormonism. Hmm. So, um, and the one thing about what, you know, if, and Mormonism teaches that the church makes the claim that it is the one and only true church on the earth, mm -hmm. and that its leader is the mouthpiece for God, and that only that church has authority given to it from God to baptize and do all these things. And I, and see, I believed all this. I really, really believed it. And I was not given any opportunity to, to understand anything else. Um, ultimately, you know, when I was, you know, and Mormon has a strict law of, of you know, sexual purity and it has a, what they call a word of wisdom where you don't drink and those types of things. And when I was in high school, I kind of rebelled against that just because I was in high school. But I never stopped believing that the Mormon church was the true church and everybody else was wrong. And the concept is that you have to actually be a Mormon if you're going to go to heaven. And they don't say it like that, but that's that's essentially the concept. So I went on, a, I, you know, I after a little bit of a wild phase, I went on a Mormon mission. I came back. I met Susie, who was the sister of one of my missionary companions. We got married in the temple. We started to have kids. Um, but I started 
but then I was out of Utah and I was progressing in my professional career and I was meeting a lot of new people and I was seeing other cultures and and I was, um, I guess, having enough courage to start to look outside of Mormonism. And, you know, at a certain point, I, I did enough research and I found out that all of these things that I was taught by my parents and by the Mormon church as historical truths and ultimate truths were simply either completely fabricated or just not correct. And, and initially that hit me like a ton of bricks, but um, I, I do have a tendency to be extreme in the things that I do. So when I was in the church, I was extreme. And when I had this realization, I was fairly extreme too. And um, I was afraid, you know, I, initially I was kind of afraid that Susie would not, would leave me, um, you know, and that happens a lot. Um, so I kept going to church. I didn't tell her what I, how I felt. I completely stopped believing in the church, but. Yeah. So what did you start disagreeing with in the book? Like what, what started heading in a direction for you that, uh, is it all organized really? Like, do you practice any organized, like any dogma today? Do you go to any church today or like how, how far does that, uh, separation from the Mormon church go for you? Um, yeah, I don't, um, at, at this point I would, um, I definitely identify as an atheist. Um, but, you know, with a caveat that my atheism only goes as far as, um, as the evidence that I can see. I mean, I, I, I love the concepts that the Mormon church teaches. I mean, the Mormon church teaches that, um, families, units stay together, not just through life on this earth, but forever. So, you know, technically, um, if I hadn't left the church, then the fact that I married my wife in a Mormon temple uh, would have given us eligibility to stay married after we die and live in a you know, it's called exaltation to the Mormons, but to, to live in a perfect state of complete bliss um, and continue to build a family um, in that realm um, until we literally reached a point of perfection where we became gods ourselves and, and did the exact same experience for our billions of children that our God is doing for us here. So it's an intense, it's crazy belief, but, um, you know, that, that you just is the crazy. belief. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. it, it is. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Is, yeah. Wild belief, right? Yeah. Is yeah. it, is it, isn't that part of the reason, like that belief right there, part of the reason why the Mormon church is so uh, into genealogy? Yep. Yeah. Because, um, if Susie and I, well, at this point, so uh, assuming Susie and I die now without um, having our marriage, it's, it, by us leaving the church, we've negated our temple marriage, according to gotcha. the church. Okay, so, so we would have to then, after we die, someone here on earth would go to a Mormon temple and be married 
on behalf of Susie and I again. And then that would be valid for Susie and I in the next life if we, you know, if there's other things that have to go to it, but we would have to accept it. I, you know, I'd have to go up there and see God and he'd have to tell me, you know what, George, <laughs> you're so stupid. I, I gave you everything um, and you left and, you know, it was Mormonism all along. And now, you know, now everybody's got to, now you got to be rebaptized. Somebody's got to be rebaptized for you on earth. They got to yeah. be remarried for you. And you, and, you know, you made it all complicated. I, I you know, hmm. yeah, so it's, 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 it's a weird concept. You know, as I look at it now, from my perspective, you know, I haven't been out of the church for 10 years. Um, the, the concepts and the beliefs are, are just so hard to, to, it's so hard for me to realize that I actually bought it and believed it, went out on a mission and preached it for two years. Um, to the point but, of like shame or like regret or, well, or feeling no, duped? Feeling, I mean, when, when initially I, I felt really duped. I felt really betrayed by the church. And I think I also felt a lot of resentment towards my, my mom and dad for not being more open um, to the world and to what the world was about and giving me options um, and accepting me unconditionally instead of, uh, you know, based on how I progressed within the Mormon church, whether I went on a mission, whether I was a good kid, you know, based on Mormon standards, those types did, of things. So, How did you, like, so what was it? that triggered this for you and how did you i mean you you went from what you just said you know if you didn't do these things there was maybe negative judgment negative consequence even from your family like how did you reconcile that within yourself to actually take action eventually especially after you were married and had kids well, you know, I had one of my business partners um, had a long conversation with him one day, and he had been learning a lot about church history, and he started telling me things I'd never heard before, hmm. um, and um, uh, about inaccuracies about the Mormon, the story of how Mormonism came about, um, the way I knew it, and the way it had always been taught to me growing up and in church, versus what really happened. Um, and, uh, that conversation, that was one night and it, and it really, really blew me away. But, the, but this is somebody that I really respected and had a lot of confidence in. And so I couldn't just throw away what he told me. Um, and so then I just, you know, in the day of the internet, I started doing my own research, reading, um, starting to read things that previously I wouldn't, because of church guidance I wouldn't have read before um, because there's there's a lot of information that the church that isn't um, sponsored by the church or isn't actual church um, I mean the church Mormon church has their own um, you know bookstore it's called Deseret book and hmm. and Mormons when they want to read they go and get ch approved church material oh, so there. church approved material and then anything outside of anything outside of that they would be they would, if they're reading outside of that material about the church, they would risk reading anti-Mormon literature. So it's like anti-sanctioned do material. Yeah, yeah, you don't do that. Unsanctioned. Yeah. So, so a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of 
people like my family, um, you know, my mom and dad, brothers and sisters, they, um, for the most part, I've got one brother that's, that's way more open to it, but they, they won't allow themselves to investigate or learn what I know about Mormon history and, and, and the Mormon church, because they, they like the bubble that they're in and, and, and it works for them. Um, so for me, um, learning, I, I, I instead wanted to know, and, and just so many things came to light, things that I believed were true and had actually happened, and either they never happened or, they, or the story that I was told was a complete, you know, a very incorrect version. Um, things like the Mormon migration, the pioneers, and what really drove that, um, that was a big thing for me. I mean, there's a lot around Joseph Smith, polygamy is an issue. On the, so on the Mormon migration, um, what was the reason? I think I know, but um, I may not. Well, it, it, in Mormon history, the the reason for migrating to the Salt Lake Valley was to um, escape the persecution, persecution that the Mormons were were getting in the East, and to be able to, um, you know, worship and you know. The, worship the way they wanted to. Uh, and the church portrays that as the Mormons were a very um, persecuted people out there. And mm-hmm. um, that's, that'd uh, be the story I've heard. Yeah, that's the story. Um, but there's a lot of history around that. And, um, you know, Brigham Young, uh, I think Brigham Young uh, created that migration, um, you know, for a lot of selfish and prideful purposes um at the beginning before we started actually recording um when we were doing rapid fire you you mentioned you were very skeptical is this why yeah for sure yeah it's definitely i mean i i'm i'm a very skeptical person at this point and i think it serves me pretty well um uh it's not and, and there's difference between and what are one of the podcast you did with somebody, I can't remember his name, but you guys were talking about optimism and uh, oh, pessimism. With Jansen. Yeah. yeah. And um, as I was listening to you guys, I was thinking about um, how, you know, pessimism is often, a, at least it seems to be a negative mm-hmm. quality. Somebody's always pessimistic, they're grumpy, or they just, just and, and that's not at all what I'm talking about. Um, I just think that being skeptical um, but being open and learning to listen to people is a vital um, way How to. On earth, do you manage being skeptical and being open to listen to other people to learn. Well, because the word skeptical actually means not easily convinced. It doesn't mean like, it, there's a synonym mm. for dubious, but like I, I don't know if that's a real good synonym. It just means not easily convinced. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, you guys can be. Um, I mean, you guys talk to a lot of different people with different perspectives and different ideas, and you listen to all of them. Um, But, I mean, I probably, you know, if, you know, I'm sitting here as as an atheist, and it would be beyond me to try to convince you guys, um, uh, you know, know, you're you're skeptical in the sense that I doubt I could probably convince you that that there's no God, Um, which which I wouldn't even want to do, you know, I mean, but... I just being skeptical doesn't. I think it. I think it 
encourages conversation, actually. I, mm. um, you know, if, if somebody's telling me something, I, I'm initially not going to believe it. But, it. but because of that, because um, I'm not easily convinced, then I can ask them questions about it. And they may very well be right, or there may be some value to it. And my skepticism is just going to prolong that conversation. It's not, I'm not going to fire, I don't mean fire back and say, ah, I just don't think that you're right. You know, that can't be right. Yeah. Just, you know, listen to it and then, well, what about this? What about that? And You you just said it would be hard to, con- potentially hard to convince us, like, we should become atheists or if we're not, we should. And, and but then the key part is you said you wouldn't even want to try. Why is that? Is that because you felt like this was kind of shoved down your throat like when you were growing up and you didn't have a choice and you're not trying to push your beliefs on anybody else or how, like why is that for you? I don't um there's no re- there's nothing there's no benefit in me convincing somebody and of atheism, you know, convince you know, if somebody finds value in believing in God, which all of my family does and my son um you know M- Marcus, my 18-year-old son got rebaptized into the church and just got a call to go on a Mormon mission. So um, I wouldn't want it. That's, that's, he finds value in that. I think it's going to be a good experience for him. Um, I don't believe in all the things that he's going to be teaching, but, um, you know, he, I wouldn't want to convince somebody that I'm right and, and their belief system is wrong when, when they find peace in, in their belief system. Why? Like, um, the, like, this is something that's so crucial to Keith and I's relationship and this podcast. Yeah. And we think conversations in general, but how are you actually, do you, do you know why or how you believe that? Like your son has gone back to the place where you're like, I felt wronged. I felt duped. I felt, yeah. how do you like, that's a powerful, powerful thing that like, if we could define that, I think we'd be super you rich. Bottle it up. <laughs> sell it as a drink. Like how does it, how do how do you how do you manage that? Well, I think growing up, I felt like my value was based around the church and um, the the extent that my parents would be proud of me was based on how good I was within the church. You know, if I went through all the appropriate steps, ultimately leading up to going on a mission, you know, keeping the commandments and um, being that perfect little Mormon boy, like I was talking about, that Rachel was, um, the church was our whole world. And so everything, everything that mattered was the church and, and, and how you accept and act within that culture was the most important thing. And, and I learned later for myself that that was just, that's just wrong. Um, that's not the most important thing that there's so many different cultures that the world is vast Mormonism is actually only a small piece of it. You know, a lot of the things that I, I was taught were just incorrect. Um, but, you know, my mom and dad, they still find tremendous value in it. And they have chosen to not look at the anti-Mormon literature and, and expand their views. And and their whole world revolves around that, you know, and they're, so, they're old at this point. My dad's suffering from dementia. Mm. Um, it doesn't, it makes no point. There's no, there's no point in him, um, in me trying to change him and, and what brings him peace, you know, with my son, um, the most important thing to me is I think unconditional acceptance. And mm. I, I want him to know that I don't care what he does. 
Um, if he wants to, you know, if if he wants to be a bum on the street and that's really what he wants, um, okay, you know, I'll accept it. If he wants to um, choose to be Mormon and follow the Mormon path and go on a Mormon mission, my only problem with that is that he might actually think that I have a problem with him because of that. Mm. Now, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't believe for a minute in Mormon teachings, but I do see that my son likes the Mormon way of life, and we're very different, also. So, where, where I, when I go to the Mormon church and somebody stands up and says, "I know this church is true," that bothers me. I'm like, that that's really a problem because you you're claiming to know something you can't know because there's four other churches down the road, people making the same claims. They can't all be true. You can't know that, but you make that claim. Mm -hmm. And that happens weekly in the Mormon church. My son knows that um, there's a, he has a different upbringing than me because I left the church. He knows there's a lot out there. He, he knows that he could choose Mormonism. He could choose Christianity. He could choose Judaism. And I would still support him. Um, based on that, I wouldn't believe it. You know, if he exercised ultimate beliefs within those organizations, he would know that I don't believe that. But it doesn't take anything away from my acceptance of him choosing that path. And when he chose to be Mormon again, he was genuinely concerned that I would try to talk him out of it. Mm. And and in fact, you know, the only requirement I had was that he take the discussions from the missionaries in our home as a family, because religion can have a way to separate families. And it's happened in my own family because of me. For sure. But, but, and I don't want that to happen in my family. So if my son wants to be a Mormon, wants to go on a Mormon mission, and it doesn't bother him, then that's, that's great for him. Let him do it. I mean, there's a lot of good things that happen in the Mormon church whether it's true or not. You know? how, does, so. how does he respond? So I guess two-part related question. How does he respond to your atheism? And hmm. in line with that, does he feel pressure to separate? I mean, he's young, he's formidable, he's moldable. Does he feel the pressure to separate from that? I don't think so. I think um, he knows that I don't... Um, believe in God and that I claim to be an atheist. We can joke about it sometimes. Um, you know, I think it's important to understand that my, you know, having, having grown up so religious, um, I believed that um, God was creating my feelings. And mm. so when I would contemplate something, and the Mormon church teaches that that's, that's the Holy Ghost speaking to you and teaching you truth. So when I would think about how much I love my wife or I'm getting sealed to my wife in a temple forever, I would get emotional. And that was, mm. and, and so I was taught um, that those emotions were feelings from God telling me that this was right, this was good. Mm. And what I learned um, after I left the church was that those, I, ha I still have those feelings about beliefs and things that I love and, and, and it doesn't change. And I just, I don't think that God directs our emotions. I think those are just part of our body. And so for something to be, you know, I would need some type of evidence 
that is good evidence, and I don't believe faith is good evidence. So I need some type of evidence that there's God. Um, so I'm an atheist because I don't think there's good evidence that there's God, but I'm totally open, skeptical, but totally open to any evidence and discussion around it. it I, I just, I'm not going to be convinced unless it's good evidence. I've, I've had um, those conversations. Oh, go ahead. I've had those conversations with Marcus, and he uh, he knows my perspective, um, and uh, but he also knows that I'm not trying to convince him to anything. I mean, if if there's one thing Susie and I have done with our kids, right or well, I think right, but <laughs> right or wrong, we we make a lot of mistakes for sure. But we've given our kids choices, and they know that they have choices. He could be gay. I mean, I I actually spoke at my son's baptism and. And in a Mormon church, I stood up there on the pulpit and I and let everybody know that the most important thing to me is because there's a lot of friends there of his and people that know our family. And there was a lot of speculation that I would be having a problem with that situation mm. because he's getting baptized and I left. And my comment was, you know, Marcus could just as well be marrying a gay, gay partner today. And I would be in the exact same supportive and loving position as I am now. Um, it's just really important that he knows and all of our kids know that it doesn't matter what they choose to be or do in life, that we'll, we will support them. Unconditional. Unconditional. So I think, I think what's, um, what's fascinating is, is one, like, it's, it's interesting, your perspective, because I, I heard a joke one time. It was a stand-up comedian, and he... He said, basically, the way I look at it, God could be a golf club, right? And I don't know the whole premise of the joke. I couldn't even, I obviously can't recite it. But that that one piece of it has been the cornerstone of my belief in God is similar to yours. However, I do believe there is something out there with all the evidence of what we can explain. We can't explain it all. So to me, that further lack of explanation is is something greater than than our existence. And but if it's a golf club at the end of the day, that's what it is. I'm open to it. When the time comes, I'll learn and I won't my, my life won't be shattered by it. And I think what's fascinating though about your family, it's the living embodiment of the antithesis or what we actually believe is existing versus what we're told exists, right? We're told that people are at each other's throats. You know, there are people who are disassociating. You've experienced it based on certain beliefs, but it's possible if you're just open to the idea that, hey, you can believe something and I can believe something and we can still love each other. And it's, and, and, and life can move on in a, in a synergistic way. And I love that your family has that because I think it's an awesome example of possibility. That was my comments. Where are my comments? I, and yeah, I think that's great. I think that when I talk about unconditional acceptance, it's, it's the, the word unconditional is a really important part of that. Um, it works in my family. It works between me and one of my brothers um, where I think it becomes very difficult to truly accept someone unconditionally within a relationship is when someone in that relationship or both make ultimate truth claims. Mm. 
that can't be made. For example, um, you know, my mom and dad, my other brothers and sisters, besides the one I just mentioned, they they absolutely love me and they love to be with me and they're they're great people. They're all very active in the Mormon church. And they will tell me that they love me unconditionally, but then they will go to church and say, I know this church is true. And those conflict. So what I hear from them when they say they love me unconditionally, what I hear is we accept you, we still love you, even though you left the church, you're still our brother, even though you left the church, even though you might not get, reach that ultimate form of exaltation anymore, we still love you. And that's conditional to me. That's conditional. Mm. Question. How, when have, you said you hear that. They're not saying that explicitly. No, they're not saying but that. But are they saying it implicitly? Like, are there other things happening where you're picking that? Because you said you're, you, brought, you have a brother where it's just like, yeah, we're here's, the, here's the difference. With the brother that I'm lockstep with, he's still very active and, and holds leadership roles within the church. And, and his, his wife is a very orthodox member of the church. And they... Um, raise their children in the church and following all the church. But when I sit down and talk to him, mm-hmm. when, when I left the church, he was actually willing to go out and look at the things I looked at. Mm. And as far as history about the church, and he, um, I'm grateful that he had enough respect for me as a person, just like I did with my business associate to say, okay, I'm not going to just dismiss everything George is saying. I want to find out for myself. So, he, he knows a lot of the problematic issues with the church and church history and and um, and and in doing so, I've I I I really believe and we he and I have had conversations that all of these ultimate truth claims that the church makes, he is skeptical of. He he he, you won't hear him get up in church and say. I know this or I know that. Now, he will get up in church and he will say, I believe this mm-hmm. or I hope that because he loves the church lifestyle. It means a lot to him. Again, he's a different person than I am. He he wants, he sees real value in raising his family and kids in the religion and in the organization. And there is a lot of social benefit to that. We, My kids and myself, we kind of paid a high price for leaving the church, living where we do. Mm. But but when he says, I accept you unconditionally, and we're both likely to be pretty shocked when we die to see what happens instead <laughs> of, you know, see, that's the difference. See, he, he doesn't make claims that this or that is true. He just chose to go a different way because that's what works for him. So I can really respect that. And I I love and respect my other brothers and sisters as well, but the fact of the matter is they think I'm wrong. Mm. And and I essentially made a bad choice. They're not going to tell me that, but I know the Mormon church, I know the religion, and I know the way I was made to think about people that left the church before I did. And so while they still love me, really care about me. It's still conditional. Yeah, do, you, it, do they ever it, try and convince you? Like, do they ever it, get into like, a, oh, like, hey, no, they don't. They, they, they're past that. They, it's tough to have a. It's it's tough to have a real conversation with them because of that. To be mm-hmm. honest, you know, I have a lot that I could 
talk about yeah. <laughs> with the religion, and they they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it from me. Yeah. So it's interesting what you just said. So I th- I think you just summed up something that I think I've known and never been able to articulate. Because interestingly enough, I told this to somebody yesterday. The one thing that I know most, more certainly than anything in my life, is that I don't know shit. Like that is the one thing that I know. But and not but I hate that word. But I'm not trying to negate what I just said. And when people make claims that like this is the truth versus this is my truth, it is a very I've always had struggles with any church I've been in with like being really evangelical, like, hey, you've got to go spread this message. It's like, but this is mine. Like, I believe this. Like, I'll talk. Keith and I, like our relationship, we met in college is like, yeah, I'm a Christian. You're not. Let's talk about it. like we, we why are, he's like, why are you a Christian? We talked about it. I wasn't trying to convince him to become a Christian, but that's not necessarily how it's taught. Like, it's like, no, that's your job. Like, you're supposed to go teach people this. And then we talked about, you talked about colonizing earlier, thinking about um, Joseph Smith and, and B.Y. Brigham Young and uh, Columbus. Like that adds, and adds a whole nother layer because I went to a Jesuit uh, Catholic high school and Jesuits are the, the fighting priests. They're the ones that are going out colonizing by force. And like that adds a whole nother layer to it for me from a, just a like societal, cultural point of view, like forcing our way of belief and thought on other people. And it's like, I don't really get down with that. I don't get that. But just the way you said that, like when people make ultimate truth claims, I guess it becomes very, it becomes near impossible to have a productive conversation. Um, right. And a even, meaningful even, relationship. Yeah. Cause it's just, it, yeah. Yeah. Near impossible. I'll say near because I I will say like my dad, for instance, like the ultimate truth is like the only way you're going to get to heaven is through Jesus. And like, that's his, that's his thing. Um, But we get along just well, just fine. Like we can have a conversation about religion, things I agree with and don't agree with. And we're cool. Um, There might be a little twinge of, but I'm going to pray for you on Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. but but you know what but even with that like i'm like cool like i'll take every prayer i can get yeah, like thank you <laughs> thank, thank you because i want to go i want to get there, i want to be so. someplace yeah, good when it's me. over <laughs> so um we are miraculously out of time um and the the sentiment and feeling of this conversation i i don't even know how to explain it at this point so i just i just want to thank you for coming on thank you george and thank you for introducing us to bracia being connected to your family it's it's uh you know coming from a non-religious person it is a blessing and i i truly appreciate uh knowing you and and taking the time so but before we go we i'd like to ask that. one question if you're going to leave our audience, or we're going to ask you right now to leave our audience with a thought, with, with something to go home with. What, what would that thing be? Yeah, for me, that theme is, you know, and we, we talked about it, but it's uh, be skeptical, but learn to listen. Mm-hmm.